Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm talking with my friend, Johnny Weinbrand, Managing Director of Bespoke, a BE offices company with locations across England and Northern Ireland. In this episode, we start off talking about the human side of this coronavirus pandemic, both the negatives and positives, how Johnny and his team are helping customers transition to working from home as if they're in the office. We talk about work strategies and safety measures to get people back to working in an office, including a discussion around pre-vaccine versus post-vaccine stages. Before diving into my quick fire round near the end, we wrap up with a powerful topic on whether coronavirus will act as an accelerant to give people more choice of how and where they work. And if that happens, how does that affect space as a service? If you have any questions or feedback on this episode, hit me up on social media. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or email podcast at workbold.co. Now, everyone, get your popcorn ready because here's Johnny. I've always wanted to say that. I hope I'm not dating myself. Welcome back to the Work Bold podcast. It's a crazy time right now. Um, my guest today is Johnny Weinbrand, the MD of Bespoke, which is a BE offices company here in the UK. And uh, Bespoke, and correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, uh, is in the business of bundling the acquisition, fit out, and operation of space. And currently, Johnny and I are both sitting in our respective homes. Um, he's in North London, and I'm in South London. Uh, and uh, I think that's what everybody's doing right now. But uh, welcome to the Workable Podcast, Johnny. Caleb, it's really, really nice to join you. You know, uh, we go back a long way, um, but also I'm an avid listener to your podcasts and obviously all your other inputs on, on social media. So, you know, well, when, when you asked me to do this, I was immediately delighted and it's a pleasure to join you. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here and uh, it's been it's been great getting to know you over the years. Um for the, those who don't know Johnny or Jonathan Weinbrand, Johnny Weinbrand, I call him JW, which is his initials. And uh, in all our emails, we're like, hey, what's up, JW? Do you want to uh, come on the podcast? But um, yeah, no, thank, thank you for being here. I've learned a lot from you over the years. We go back to, um, uh, I guess, probably 2013, um, back in the, the brokerage days. Well, Johnny, like I said, we, we are in crazy times right now. The whole world is uh, practicing social distancing. Um, some of us are working from home. Some of us are furloughed. Um, some of us have lost our jobs, and it's a absolutely crazy and terrifying time for some. I'm very optimistic about the future, but um, I'm just curious from from your end, can you sort of touch on how this has impacted you both personally and professionally? Yeah, I think crazy and terrifying are quite good uh, adjectives to describe the situation um, in equal measure, actually. Just, just before I do, I think it's only right probably that I extend my best wishes to any of your listeners who, who might be um, ill currently, and certainly extend my condolences to anyone who's, who's lo- lost family members or friends or, or co- colleagues to this terrible illness. And finally, I just want to also pass on my thanks to all of our frontline and essential workers who, kind of, I'm sure you'll agree, are just doing the most incredible job under very, very difficult circumstances. Um, so I hope you don't mind me just starting with that. But um, no, It's very appropriate. Thank you for that. No worries. Just moving on to your, to, to your question about how it's affecting me uh, personally and from, a, I suppose, a professional point of view too. I, I have to be honest, it's, it, I'm finding it difficult. Um, 
uh, it kind of goes in ebbs and flows. And there are times where I'm quite despondent and depressed. Um, you know, you see a lot of bad uh, news coming out on a daily basis, not just on a daily basis, but a, a minute by minute basis. And perhaps we need to question the kind of intense media scrutiny that we're bombarded with, but that's a, a different subject. And then there are other times where I, I just see more hope, actually, and uh, you know, uh, prospects of, of a recovery. But m more than that, when I talk about hope, I, I'm thinking of good deeds that are going on and amazing um, community efforts that are happening, mm -hmm. and, you know, the spirit of, of community. Um, I'm also thinking of people like Captain Tom, I think he's over twenty-eight million pounds now that he's he's managed to raise, which is just outstanding. Johnny, for um, those for those listeners who aren't in the UK, can you elaborate on that last bit? Yeah, so Captain Tom is um, a chap who's about to turn a hundred. Um, he served in the military. I think he was in Burma from memory, and he uh, saw what was going on around him and decided he's in a. Uh, he, he he can walk, but he's he struggles to walk, and he decided to to walk a hundred laps of his garden and raise money for the NHS. I think with a target of, if I'm right, uh, I think only five hundred pounds initially. Uh, I think after he started his campaign, it, it jumped immediately to sort of a thousand pounds and to five thousand pounds, and within a matter of weeks, um, he's now at twenty eight million pounds. And I think it really, it really sort of is encouraging and it showed you the spirit of generosity, not just from people in the UK who've been giving, but from around the world who've joined this campaign. And not only that, but he's spurred on other campaigns uh, across the world and across different age groups. And, uh, and I think that just sh shows the level, the levels of support we have for our, our frontline and uh, um, essential workers who are doing this incredible job because I think we've seen too the kind of conditions um, staff are, are working in and I, I think this opens up a wider debate about when we come out of this how we look at our, our social care workers and our NHS staff and how this is also looked at internationally too but, but those kind of glimmers of hope for me are really important because I think otherwise we can get bogged down in the very distressing uh you know news that we, we we're confronted with and actually caleb on a personal note very early on before the lockdown even occurred unfortunately we we had uh very close family friends who lost parents uh quite a quite a few which was really shocking it wasn't just just one set and this happened um at a point at which i think many people thought the virus was something that was far away that was in a different geography that wouldn't mm -hmm. really come here and if it did come here it wouldn't really affect uh, healthy people or many members of the population and that's all been turned on its head so it really sent me into a state of shock early on in terms of the uh you know the viciousness of this of this pandemic um and then we've seen and you you alluded to this earlier we've seen the impact it's having in terms of a wider socio-economic impact which is just horrific yeah um so, so I think it's difficult. I don't want to overwhelm your listeners with me being depressed and using this as a therapy session, but um, I'm ha happy to to sort of admit that it's difficult because I think it's only a normal, it's a human reaction to feel scared sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I worry about my wife, I worry about my children and my, my elderly father um, and my sisters and my friends and my colleagues. Uh, this is what we do as humans. But I also see 
a, a, a glim, glim, more than glimmers of hope. And, and, and like you, I'm optimistic about the future. I, th I think the challenge is going to be, you know, how long is this going to, to last for? We need to try and get a grip on, on the testing. Uh, we need to try and, and keep deaths as low as possible. I know that sounds really obvious, but the social distancing is showing signs of having a real impact. Um, and I think whatever it takes to get through this early stage, and then we need to come up with a, a mid-term and long-term plan. I, th I think you're you're right about that. And you know, with without turning the podcast episode into a coronavirus podcast, um, I just wanted to sort of add to what you're saying in regards to the numbers of of um, infections and deaths. We we see this in the media, and it it almost can be frightening or it can have the numbing effect. And I think it's important for for us to realize that all of these numbers is a person and a family. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's terrifying uh, for people. Um, and what, you know, for me personally, what I get frustrated the most about is where people talk about these numbers and they talk about them as, as if there's, you know, stock prices or something. And, um, and it's not, it's people's lives. And right now in a crisis, uh, we have to do what's best for everyone. And, uh, so I, I, of course, am staying home and, uh, I think as most of the country is, and, um, I'm an advocate for that. Can't wait till the lockdown release is, is released and I'm looking forward to seeing everyone and giving people hugs and shaking hands. Um, uh, but uh, we all have to do our part right now. And likewise, and just to on that note, actually, sorry, and then we will move on, I promise you. But, but you know, there have been moments too where I've spent time with my kids in a way I've never been able to do previously. But I, I'd really like to see, see my way out of this because for me, the working from home thing is interesting and we'll come on to talk about this. But I really miss the kind of um, that social engagement from uh, the workspace environment too. Uh, so the, the, the sort of interesting bits that are positive. Um, no one wants to, to, to this to happen in the first place. But um, I, I, you know, like you, we, we I think we're keen to see our way out of this as soon as feasibly possible. Yeah, agreed. And and I think you know the the first couple of weeks for me, um, I, I, typically I was working remote about thirty percent of the time anyway. So it wasn't a massive yeah. shift in terms of how to be productive. But the lack of that social interaction with my my friends and my colleagues and my team and my clients, um, that that's where I started suffering. And but you know we talk about the glimmers of hope. I've had people reach out to me and I've connected with reconnect with people with video chats. Some that I haven't talked I don't talk to very often. And so mm -hmm. while we we're all isolated, it almost felt like we became more connected in some ways. And that that was a nice thing. Agreed. Amer American Very nice. <laughs> I always say American nice. No, 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 nice. <laughs> the connotation <laughs> here doesn't 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 translate. But um, so question for you, Johnny, and and for me, like I said, it's it wasn't a massive shift because I'm used to working remotely. But um, how has that impacted you and your team? Are, are you staying productive? Have you seen your workload decrease? How are you communicating? What's going on? It's a good point. I think. Um, we're busy. We're very busy. I think it's doing different things and working in a different way. Our, our main focus, Caleb, has always been the well-being of our employees and our, our customers. I mean, through good times. That's always at the heart of everything we do. 
So we have to continue that responsibility in more challenging circumstances that we're not necessarily used to working in. Um, we, we employ over 300 staff and we have literally hundreds of, of customers across a portfolio of just under a million square feet. So it's an enormous challenge to make sure that we can be as supportive as possible to our colleagues, to our teams, to make sure they're well, they're okay, you know, that they feel as best as they possibly can, uh, that their well-being is taken care of as much as possible, uh, and equally do the same uh, for, for all of our customers, most of whom have decanted from our offices. We have essential workers in buildings across our portfolio, but the majority of our customers now are working from home. And we started a process many weeks ago. Uh, uh, we instigated a, a special committee to, to help transfer as seamlessly as possible our customers and our team so that they could work effectively from home as if they were working from, from the office. And this is about, I suppose, an investment in, in technology um, that allows our customers to do this. And, and we offer things like mobile twinning of phones. Um, they can take, they can plug their handsets in at home and they could receive calls as if they were in the office. And we didn't want to charge for any of these services. We just wanted them to be able to continue as if they were in our office. And this was really important to us. And we underlaid this with things like video conferencing and IT support. And, and we had to do this not just for our customers, but as I say, for, for all of our staff and to make sure that when they're working at home, it's also from a health and safety point of view, effective uh, and that they can be productive. And I think a lot of this, by the way, goes uh, back to communication. So how you how you stay communicating with your teams and with your customers throughout this very difficult period. So can I dive into that? Because um, you talk about the technology um, investment that you made to enable your team, but also your customers and their teams to be able to communicate as if they were in the office. Um, I understand the concept of the twinning of phones, but when it comes to one of your clients that has multiple team members that are used to being in the office, what are they doing now as a team that, or how are you enabling them to do what they're doing now? Can you well, when it, when it comes to customers of ours, um, in terms of their work processes at home, many of them will have standards that they adhere to in the first place. You, you need to remember that we have multiple brands under the B offices umbrella. And, and these customers represent startups, SMEs, you know, fast growing businesses, corporates, multinationals. There's a range of, of, of customers who we service. And many of them have contingency planning already in place, and but they want to they want to piggyback off our our services. So they immediately started contact us, and we started contacting them, seeing how we could integrate um, all of their uh, planning, their sort of disaster recovery planning, with all of the infrastructure developments and um, investments we had made internally too. But but obviously some of this is down to them because they they have processes they want to work by. So we we don't interfere with our customers. We don't want to tell them what to do or how to do it. We just want to be there to support them through this process. Sure. And a lot of it is based on the size of the companies, Caleb, and the investment they've also made. But but with the advent of of, of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and Google Hangout, you know many people are very savvy at, at remote working already. This is the greatest experiment on a worldwide scale of remote yes. working. But like Over, you, many overnight. people have utilized. Yeah, absolutely. 
And but 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 many people have been working, you know, remotely or through third party sites uh, for many many years. So it's not new to to everyone. But I, I think it has been a challenge um, for many people. I I remember reading, I think back in February in the Financial Times, an article about the massive growth of of business platforms, connection platforms in China, whilst the coronavirus had taken uh, a hold there. And we weren't aware then, obviously, of its global pandemic status. Mm -hmm. But it was amazing to see the take up of firstly home working and then um, platforms such as, uh, you know, Zoom or China's equivalent of Zoom that were just growing exponentially at phenomenal rates. So it's going to be an interesting We'll no doubt come to this point too, but it'll be interesting to see what Ben uh, comes from this. Um, we, we've also wanted to give back to the community. So we've kept some of our offices, as I say, open, but we've also offered free space to NHS workers. Uh, we've offered free car parking spaces to, to NH workers, uh, bearing in mind a lot of our buildings are, are, are very empty at the moment and we want to support our care workers as much as possible. That's great. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of uh, your social media posts on the work that you're doing to support the uh, frontline workers. And that's amazing. Uh, it's it's great to see. And I think there's a lot of businesses within our industry, but also outside of our industry that are doing that. And it's great to see that community effort. If you're like me, you're holding lots of video calls on Zoom, Skype, or Teams these days. I recently discovered the feature that let me choose a background instead of showing everyone the inside of my London flat. I wanted a cool background, so I'm using scenes from our Bold Spaces. Then I thought, why don't we make our backgrounds available for our clients and listeners so they can work bold too, virtually of course. Just go to workbold.co slash podcast and grab the ones you like. And if you're a competitor like me, we're giving away a free bold hoodie. All you have to do is share a screenshot of your meeting with the bold background on Twitter and use hashtag workbold. We'll send the person with the most likes in the next two weeks a bold hoodie. Here's to making your meetings cool, like you. So, Johnny, if we you talk about looking ahead, um, if if we start thinking about looking ahead, uh, I imagine you're talking to your clients, um, some of your largest customers, and are you getting some insight with them how they're thinking about when the governments do relax social distancing uh, mandates and let people come back into the office? Um, are you expecting them to be reluctant to come back to the office? I'm gonna I'm gonna fire you a couple of questions at you on this, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. are, are, do you think people are gonna be reluctant to come back to the office? Um, are people excited to come back to the office? Are big companies thinking, well, we're gonna maintain this remote work for a while until we're sure that the office is safe? Um, and then, I guess, how are you guys pairing to welcome people back? So I think first and foremost, we have to be guided by legislation and by government edicts. Certainly. Just like the government's being guided by the scientists, they're going to give guidance to us in terms of if we're allowed to and when we're allowed to open offices, how they expect those workspaces to be uh, utilised and what kind of social distancing is expected. So that, that's the overriding principle of um, what will guide not just us, but occupiers coming back into workspaces across the country. And we're seeing this already happening in, in places like Asia, where cities are starting to, to, to reopen. 
I've been speaking in to, to quite a few larger occupiers in terms of discussing with their sort of heads of real estate or, or, or various stakeholders involved in the process and also listening to others talk about this. And what does seem to be apparent, and this seems to be a sort of theme that that's, uh, you, you hear more and more of, is that there'll be a, a phased approach to this move back. Um, so it's likely that there are some people uh, who probably are reluctant to go back to the office. Some people are probably quite scared to go back to the office. But but I think from a corporate perspective, um, they'll they'll implement some kind of phased um, move-in of staff. Uh, and that, again, could be driven partly by legislation. So, for example, if the government say, you know, in the first wave of uh, uh, releasing people back into the workspace, we're, we're going to work on a demographic of, say, you know, 20 to 35-year-olds. That may and influence uh, an occupier's decision about how they get teams back into the office. But certainly on a phased approach seems to be uh, at the front of most corporates' minds. Uh, and then coupled with that, implementing some kind of shift patterns and shift working. I've, I've even heard muted the concept of a seven-day working week, but people working sort of three days on, four days off, four days on, three days off, etc. Yeah. So I think people are trying to be as creative as possible. Um, bear in mind that however safe you make the workspace, and we're, we're, we're doing a huge amount of work through the steering committee I mentioned to you earlier in terms of increasing our already robust health and safety policies, but we're really looking at investing further and implementing steps we can discuss in a minute. But bear in mind, um, again, as much as you make that workspace as safe as possible, most workers still have to get to your place of work. And, and typically, they would travel there by means of public transport, not a way. Sure. But, but typically, and I think you've got to look at all of the elements of risk along the chain. And I personally believe it's impossible to protect, well, I'm sure everyone agrees, it's impossible to protect 100% against something that's so virulent as this particular uh, pandemic. And we must remember, too, and uh, I don't want to understate this, but, you know, th this didn't start in an office. I think our role is to try and limit infections and the, the risk of spreading the disease. Um, but unfortunately, uh, you can only do so much. So, so we're, we're putting a lot of work and dedication into preparing the workforce coming back to the office, not just our staff, but more importantly, our customers too. Yeah, I think the, um, the, there's not going to be a vaccine for a while. And, and I think to protect everyone 100% um, right now, for the foreseeable future is impossible. Um, when there's a vaccine, when there's enough testing to, to make sure that people don't have the, the virus or have the proper antibodies to fight the virus and not be contagious. Um, I've seen some, and I'm not, a, I'm not a tuned in to this like, you know, the experts are, but I've seen 12 to 18 months time frame. And so, you know, over the next three, six, nine, 12 months, who knows? We don't know yet. Um, but I'm interested in, in once we get through this, once we get through the uncertain period and we are starting to think about getting back to business as usual, are you expecting it to be back to business as usual? Or do you think that, because um, I've seen a lot, there's a lot of talk right now going on about um, six foot rules, keeping social distancing even when we come back, contactless access control, all of these things. 
Um, do, do you expect there to be massive changes or a few small changes when we get back to business as usual? That's the difficult question. That's one I'm really struggling to get to grips with myself because I see it a bit like you've just described. So in, in, in my view, there are kind of two stages. There's post-vaccine, uh, uh, but, but first we deal with the pre-vaccine stage. And I think this pre-vaccine stage, there will be some radical changes that are going to occur that, that we need, need to live with. Um, that's what I'm envisaging. Whether I'm right, I'm, I'm not sure, Caleb, but yeah. this is, seems to be, be the kind of themes that are coming through all of the discussions that we're having with, having with our internal health and safety and assets teams, and then also taking advice from external uh, sources too. Uh, you mentioned the six-foot office uh, or the six-foot sort of uh, rural Cushman and Wakefield, I think, right. produced a report out of the Netherlands around this. Uh, and I saw the video, and it, it's interesting how you can use certain surfaces and floor um, uh, colorings and signage and all of these kinds of uh, practical measures we're going to be implementing, particularly around things like our, our social areas, our kitchen areas, our breakout spaces, the collaborative spaces. But it's very difficult to kind of, um, you know, legislate for that on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis because we're all humans and, you know, uh, we're going to make mistakes. Someone will step across a line that they shouldn't step across. And I think that's only natural. So I think in this first phase, there will be quite rigid guidelines. We're certainly upping all of our hygiene and cleaning standards that were already sort of award-winning, but we want to double those efforts to, to protect our our customers as much as possible. And we're investing in more equipment, more signage that help the customer guide their way through this difficult process. For me, there's a bit of a contradiction because one of the reasons I'm craving personally to get back to the office is to interact with my colleagues and to collaborate and to be inspired and to have a laugh and to have some banter. And that's all about the kind of human connection. So there's that conflict that will exist and it'll be a learning period for all of us. So I'm slightly conflicted. I don't know if I know the total, you know, the, the right answer to that question. I think in the second phase, so let's say post-vaccine, what's going to be really interesting is how much of these procedures are we going to maintain? Um, and you know, we've got short memories. Uh, how soon will it be that we revert to uh, just business as, as as normal? You know, I, I remember I was living in Hong Kong in 2002, 2003 when SARS. Hit. And for me, it was fascinating because I hadn't been exposed to uh, anything like that, where you see people en masse walking the streets wearing face masks. I think it's very normal now for us to, to mm-hmm. see that. But, you know, the world, we're robust. We come back from these things very quickly. So I'm fascinated in the long-term results of this. If we can spot areas that need improving, and we've always been talking about, and, and you'll be familiar with this, We've always been talking about better fresh air provision in office space, better uh, densities in, in office space, better environments for people to spend a lot of time because they are spending a lot of time in these workspaces. All of us who are vested in this want to have, have for our clients a much better experience at the heart of what we're delivering. So anything that supports those efforts, I'm all for and we're all for as a business. And we've been very sort of hot on going way beyond building standards when it comes to things like the provision of uh, fresh air, means of escape, provision of toilets uh, 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 based on occupancy levels, et cetera. And I have been quite 
prominent in my uh, negative comments around um, <laughs> operators of space who, who really pack people in in what I consider almost inhumane conditions. Uh, so, so I think hopefully the good things will stay, and but we don't need to reduce that human interaction to to a you know an unworkable level. Yeah, that's a very good point, and I think that the um, the the long term changes in your comment about us having short memories. I, I do think once we get past the vaccine, once we have the restrictions lifted, and once we are ready to go back to business as usual, people will embrace that, and we 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 will forget the terrifying bit and the uncertainty of what we've gone, what we're going through now. And we'll be excited to get back into collaborating and, um, and seeing our colleagues. But, you know, when we first started recording the Work Bold podcast episode one, season one, um, just a few months ago, we had no clue that the world was going to change so suddenly. And we didn't know how it was going to impact everyone professionally. But at the time, we we're talking space as a service. We were talking about the movement toward flex. And I started looking into this flex movement back in 2000 and probably 11, as we were coming out of the, the global financial crisis when I was back in the States. Mm. And at the time, I, I, I thought that we would all move to sort of a remote work culture or, or it would be embraced um, more than it ha more than it ended up ended up being embraced. Now that we are going through this globally under a remote work culture, do you think the movement towards flex that was picking up steam before coronavirus? Do do you expect it, it to continue the same trend? Do you think it'll slow down? Or do you think it'll get bigger? What what's your view on that? That's that's a really key point. You know what? What is going to be the impact for us as a as a sector and a segment of the market? I think what's going to happen is we're going to be moving to a more distributed uh, workforce, which which doesn't inherently imply people are going to slash the amount of office space they need, but equally it doesn't imply everyone's going to be working from home. I I think what's going to happen, and this is going to what what COVID is going to do is is act as an accelerant is it's going to give people more choice about how they work, where they work. Um, and I think that's a good thing. But it's a much more nuanced and grown-up conversation around empowering teams to work in uh, a different choice of settings according to what their needs are at a particular time. And I think that's a positive thing. Now, for me, flex space, whatever you want to call it, but I'd prefer to maybe refer back to space as a service, I think this will form a, a key component of that structure. So, so people will be working out of third spaces, uh, which will probably be flexible and agile uh, and, and spaces of service underpinned. And they could be close to their homes or in cities where they're visiting clients or uh, in any other location, but they'll also blend that with working from home and then occasionally also being in their, their HQ. And that's all a good thing. For me, that's a positive outcome. I agree, and I think the, um, the the key word there is choice. And the those who advocate for remote working, um, we have, and I'm one of those. I would say, we have to remember that not everybody can be productive working from home. Um, you know, some people have you know 
children at home. Some people have, um, you know, roommates, flatmates, small living conditions in, in some of the big cities around the world that it's not comfortable to work from home. But by people having a choice, um, if they need to work from home, they can. If they need to come into the office, they can. Or a third space, as as you suggest. I think that that, that keyword is choice. And um, in the past, I think the old school thinking that a lot of companies maintained was that you had to have that face time. You had to be in, in view of the manager to make sure you're doing your work and it wasn't results driven. And now that we have this global experiment taking place, uh, it's going to be, I'm curious, it's going to be interesting to see which companies and which types of work maintain productive productivity or, or even increase productivity by not being in the office. And, and if they were to maintain productivity and, or increase productivity, will they be required to come back? And I think that's to be determined, but that's a big, big piece for me that I'm very curious to see. Yeah, look, we've already seen signs from massive institutional occupiers, traditional occupiers from, say, the banking sector or the legal profession proclaim how, how effective they're being actually under these conditions, which is fascinating because you would think many of these organizations would be very staid and old-fashioned in their ideas. But the mere fact they're supporting this opportunity, I think, is really fascinating and says something about the future of work. So I think people are waking up to the fact that work doesn't happen, doesn't have to happen in one fixed location. And in fact, when it comes to managing cost base, which is going to become even more important, the idea of retaining rigid, long-term, inflexible uh, leasing arrangements that can cause huge issues around legacy, but also create massive obstacles around uh, CapEx, OpEx, and things like dilapidations. I think that will also become more significant and drive more business to a space as a service model. So I think in the, in the medium to long term, I'm expecting our sector to be able to re really react positively to this and say, we are a solution of sorts um, for this ever-changing world. And bear in mind, before COVID was even on our lips, you know, I was, I was thinking about this earlier, there were many other um, unfortunate events, even in our lifetime, because COVID obviously is unprecedented for our lifetime, but even in our lifetime, there were events that actually really unsettled us previously and maybe have been drivers to, to a more flexible approach in real estate. And, so, and some of those even have affected things like freedom of movement that we're experiencing now. I was thinking of things like um, uh, the terrible events around 9-11 or um, the air traffic disruption caused by the ash cloud in 2010. Uh, when you then couple in political unrest, uh, social unrest, upheavals across the world, the, the sort of global economic crash, all of these compounded with COVID just, to me, say everyone needs a much more agile and flexible approach to, to their, their planning. I'm not just talking about real estate, I'm talking about everything. So I, I can foresee a time where everyone now is going to be looking at ways to minimize um, uh, their risk, uh, lower their risk mitigate, uh, and mitigate their risk. Uh, and one of the ways is to, to access space as a service through a flexible model. It just makes sense. It does make sense. And I think the old school approach to commercial real estate that many of the traditionalists in our industry want to continue uh, won't work anymore. 
And uh, I think those who are, dare I say, bold <laughs> and, and open to evolving, uh, you know, as we go into the future, will not only survive but but actually thrive. And um, this is this has been great. And I think we could probably talk on for hours and hours. But I, I want to move into our quick fire round. And I didn't warn you about this. So I'm looking for really, really short, okay. quick answers here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the, the quick fire is really, really short and, and more, right. more personal. Um, but it's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a softball. I'm going to throw you an easy one first. Okay. Um, so when, when we can get back to traveling around the world, whatever that is, where's your favorite holiday destination? Where do you want to go to first? Okay, that one's simple. Cape Town. South Cape Africa. Town. Oh, Cape I love Town. Cape Town. It's- my world, absolutely love it, and I can't wait to get back there. Do, do you go up the Stellenbosch and take the wine as well? I do, and every view aspect you look at, it, wherever you are in Cape Town and the region, it's just absolutely beautiful. The people are wonderful. The climate's fantastic. The food and wine are exceptional. So it's just a fantastic place. I miss it greatly, and I can't wait to get back. By the way, I'm well, biased because you know I was born in that country. I oh really you know I didn't, I never knew that about you Johnny okay yeah, well you know it's uh, funny um the the company that supports our podcast um and does all the editing um the founder of that company Jason Allen Scott uh, he's a friend of mine and um he's he's from Cape Town as well well there you go yeah point made uh, yeah all right well but I got that question qu- right okay <laughs> you got it right yeah it's yeah. perfect give you five stars <laughs> um. Okay, so the next question is um, in in commercial real estate in our sector. You know, commercial real estate as a whole, flex space, whatever, wherever you want to focus in on. Who inspires you? Uh, apart from you, you mean? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, I, actually, you know what? Well, I've got some people who are pretty well known, but at this time, I think I, I'd like to recognize uh, you know the people at our coalface. So the people in our business who really deal with the day-to-day running of our business, because they often go unrecognized. So I'm, I'm talking about, by the way, now cleaning staff. We have about 115 uh, cleaners in our, in our business, our, our facilities management teams, um, our health and safety teams, our assets teams, our IT and HR teams. These are the people actually, who in the good times are delivering the service, in, in difficult conditions, but in these times, in, in really incredible conditions. So I'd recognize them, Caleb, today. That is so awesome. Uh, people, people the te- our team members in these roles make sure that things are ticking in the good times, like you say, and, and, and never go recognized. And um, obviously, the, the value of, of their roles is massively recognized right now. And it's great that you said that. Thank you. Um, okay. Do you have a, and you can't say this one because you've already said it, <laughs> but do you have a podcast or is there anyone that you read um, in our industry? Yeah. Is, is there, who, who, do you, who do you listen to and to get your, to get your wisdom? So I'm not allowed to say you, you you're implying. Um, you know, Professor Galloway, so no mercy, no malice. He, he, he's fascinating, really interesting analysis of not just our market but just business as a whole and he and he doesn't take any prisoners so i really like his style He's, he cuts to the chase very funny and very insightful i'd highly recommend him to anyone who's listening excellent 
I'll have to look him up. I, I have not known about Professor Galloway, so I'll definitely. Oh, he's up. brilliant. So, Johnny, where can people find you on social media? Um, so, on LinkedIn, Jonathan Winebren, and in terms of Twitter, at Winebren Johnny. And anyone who doesn't know how to spell my name, it's W E I N B R E N N. Excellent. And we'll also have that in the show description so people can can copy and paste. And we'll put a link to your Twitter so people can click on it as well. Excellent. Thanks, Taylor. Johnny, really appreciate you coming on. I'm looking forward to when we can meet up for a pint or, or a coffee. <laughs> um, and uh, once this is uh, all over, and certainly wish you and your family uh, the best and, and stay well. And to you and yours, Caleb. I really appreciate it. And always lovely to catch up. Keep well. Thank you, Johnny. And everyone who's listening today, really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, this is very difficult time for everyone. We recognize that. But there's a lot of things to be thankful for. And I think uh, what's getting me through this time is finding the reasons to be grateful and uh, just know that you're, you're in my thoughts. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening, and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.